Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian. I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we are discussing Fright Night from 1985, directed and written by Tom Holland, starring Chris Sarandon, William Ragsdale, Amanda Burse, Roddy McDowell, and Stephen Jeffries. In this film, a high school boy is convinced that his new neighbor is a vampire. And if you're new to the show, we're going to talk about this spoiler-free for the first 20 minutes or so. But after that, we're going to play some transition music, and that means we're going into spoiler mode. So once you hear that music, go watch this movie, because uh, you don't want to get anything spoiled for you. And this is a special episode, because today we are joined by Bryce Hansen from Horror Movie Talk. Welcome to the show, Bryce. Hello. We are reuniting after like a year and a half, yeah. which doesn't feel like that long ago. I know. It feels like you, you guys were just on our podcast, too. Dave, David came on yours, right? David came on, and he we okay. did an episode on our top five found footage films. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I think after that, we're like, okay, well, yeah, we'll get Bryce on sometime soon. And uh, here we are a year and a half later. Yeah. We're... I, uh, I I take the blame for that. I should have I should have reached out a lot sooner. Oh no, blames on us as well. Time flies by. Um, hey, which uh, which film did you guys do on on uh, our movie talk? Cabin Fever. Oh, cool, nice. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, and Bryce, you guys have had a lot of changes at your show since that time in the very yeah. recent past. So yeah. David is no longer with you, and you've got Max and Sydney now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of changes. Um, you know, uh, David, uh, at first, he just realized that he couldn't watch horror movies anymore. They affected him too much. And then, so we switched formats to be uh, kind of all genres for a little while. And then he decided, actually, he's kind of done with podcasting. So um, took a little bit to audition some co-hosts and found... Pretty quickly, Max and Sydney were a good fit, and so it's a three three person podcast now, which is an interesting dynamic and an interesting change up, and I think it's working out pretty well. Yeah, it sounds like it. How has that affected your your approach to like a podcasting and b reviewing movies? It seems like they're a bit younger. I'm sure yeah. you kind of understood where David was coming from, and now you got to learn new people's perspectives and. How they influence, how they view a movie is probably going to influence you a little bit. Are you noticing any differences there? Yeah, it's really different because, I mean, we, me and David were close friends, you know, so we worked with each other and, you know, uh, talked all the time. Um, and so we're pretty familiar with each other's personalities and likes and dislikes. And we we're pretty good uh, contrast to each other and trying to find that balance or that, that, um, contrast that's interesting and so now uh max and sydney are both you know zoomers and they are much younger um probably have seen more horror movies than me though and um the fact that sydney's on like having a a female voice is also just a huge like um increase in the level of complexity of (laughs) the viewing experience um but no, I, the, it's going well. It, that is another fun part of it is like learning each other's ins and outs and, and seeing how we interact with each other and like finding the the nuances, mostly finding the stuff that bothers each other. Because that's, I mean, 
you just pick at that for drama, you know? <laughs> so Max yeah. is a similar background. I, I grew up Mormon and he's, he's uh he's still Mormon. And so I know a lot of his like thought processes around that. And I'm finding like, Oh, I can make a mix Max disassociate if I bring up this topic. <laughs> then, yeah. Sydney's pretty unflappable. Um, but yeah, she's, she's game for anything. So it's, it's fun. Nice. That's awesome. And kudos to you for sticking with it and going through that process of finding new hosts. I'm sure that was a weird, uncertain time. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, going to be fun to rebuild and, and, uh, you know, have some fresh blood and they're going to bring some new ideas. And it's also pretty nice to share the load between three people as opposed to two. It's like, Oh, I have like a third less work to do, uh, which is nice. I get it. In that episode where David was talking about stepping back, I was like borderline convinced to quit podcast. <laughs> I was like, oh man, he's got good points. This is actually pretty hard. Yeah. I mean, it, when he was talking to me, he's like, don't you feel this way? I'm like, yeah, but you know, it's what I do, you know? It's like, <laughs> right, I know. It's, it's become just like, that's that's the week. Yeah. I'm really scared of like what life looks like uh, if we ever give this up. Like, what do we do with all that time now? Yeah, I mean, I, as a similar, you know, in the similar vein, like, I stopped going to church a couple of years ago. And it's was like, oh, I have like a Sunday now. Like, I can <laughs> do whatever I want. Turns out I don't use it for anything useful or like worthwhile. It's just, just empty time on the weekend for me. Yeah. So at least you can feel like you did something or created something with a podcast. But you exactly. do trade off for me, trade off the Saturday mornings. So, yeah, that is one nice thing about it is just, there's a tangible product at the end of every week and it's, it's satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your history with this movie, Bryce with Fright Night? And, and then after that with vampire movies in general and how do you feel about them? This is my very first time watching Fright Night. I watched Hooray! it last night. For the first time ever, um, I mean, I recognize the cover from the rental store. You know, it's it's an iconic poster, but I've never actually watched it. Um, I am a big fan of vampires and vampire movies. Um, haven't seen everything, but like in terms of like the classic horror monsters, I think vampires are the coolest. Um, so yeah, I've. It's an it's an interesting contrast. Fright Night is like holds a, I can see why it it holds its place as kind of a, a tentpole vampire movie because it it goes a different way with it and feels very eighties. Just oh right man, this is eighties eighties through and through. Did you guys see Lisa Frankenstein that just came out? Yeah, we did. Yeah, I mean it's it's like oh yeah, this is the feel that they're going for, you know? Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. Um, cool. I'm so excited that that was, this was your first time watching it. So I'm excited to discuss. Um, and this was Tom Holland, who we probably know the name from Child's Play. He directed and co-wrote that. He wrote the screenplay for Psycho 2, which Ashvin and I were surprised by a few years ago when we reviewed that and really enjoyed it. Directed Thinner and co-wrote that screenplay. And he directed and wrote the teleplay for the TV miniseries The Langoliers. 
he was said he was writing a sequel to the 1985 film in 2020. I don't know what's going to come of that, if anything, but that would be interesting. I thought there is a sequel of Fright Night, isn't there? There is a sequel. He was going to make a third movie that would skip that mm. sequel and just be a direct sequel to the original. But yeah, there's Fright Night Part 2 from 1989. Um then there's the remake, Fright Night from 2011, and Fright Night 2 New Blood from 2013. Have you seen the remake, Bryce, from 2011? I haven't. I that's, haven't seen either one of them, yeah. That's worth worth watching. That was surprisingly good. Yeah, I agree. Tom um, must have seen the success of the Halloween soft reboot. I'm like, oh, you can just skip the crappy <laughs> movies and do another sequel? Like, yeah, I should do that and cash in. Why not? <laughs> right, we can do whatever we want. Um, awesome creature design and effects in this one. That was something that stood out to me on this watch. Uh, that was done by Steve Johnson, who worked on special effects and special makeup effects for films like An American Werewolf in London, The Howling Franchise, Videodrome, Predator, A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, the list goes on. Uh, and a little bit of a wolf type stuff in this one, surprisingly, mm-hmm. not it's to get too spoilery at the top of the episode. Yeah, that's um, my surprise. And, yeah. And boy, Chris Sarandon is a handsome man, and he's working with Tom Holland again in Child's Play years later. Uh, and it was actually his suggestion that he should be eating fruit a lot because of fruit bats. Did you guys notice how often he was eating an apple in this movie? <laughs> All the time. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a nice touch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of apple cons- consumption. Maybe that's what uh, keeps him so handsome. Hey, who is he in Child's Play? He's like the, oh man, what is his character? He's a detective. Yeah, oh, he's okay. a detective. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. But boy, I haven't seen that in a long time. Yeah. Had you seen this one before? I hadn't. Yeah, I had seen it before, but this may have only been my second time. Had you seen it, Ash? I'm sorry. I forgot to ask you. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I think I, I saw it when I was uh, really young and I maybe only saw like the beginning and then I got in trouble. Because I had like rented an R-rated movie and there's like press on this pretty early on, so I, I feel like maybe I'd never like actually finished it, so it felt like a first watch. Mm, you should have been like, "Mom, there aren't any more boobs in the movie <laughs> yeah, after this. It's just these two here. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> just, just these promise. two boobs you see here. <laughs> yeah, the first two are free, Mom. Come exactly. On. Yeah. <laughs> there was a uh, fun fact that kind of blew my mind about this movie, so. Tom Holland and Roddy McDowell, they, on that topic of like a Fright Night 3, this was back before 2020, they had set up a meeting with a movie producer, Jose Menendez, to discuss this idea. But before they could have the meeting, he was murdered by his sons, Eric and Lyle Menendez, the wow. Menendez brothers. Oh, wow. That's yeah, crazy. I had no idea their father was in the entertainment industry. Damn. But... For the youngsters listening, that was a court trial that was, uh, there was a lot of buzz around it in the 90s when it happened. Two adult children killing their father and their mother, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, that movie Cable Guy kind of spoofs that whole uh, the case, right? Yeah, where Ben Stiller plays both brothers. Oh, yeah. right. It's just right. on TV throughout <laughs> the runtime of Cable Guy. It's a, a very weird homage. <laughs> Um, let's see. 
Rotten Tomatoes score, 82%, uh, 76% from critics. At the Saturn Awards, it won Best Writing, Best Horror Film, and Best Supporting Actor. It had a budget of seven to nine million and a box office of twenty four point nine million. It was the second highest grossing horror film of nineteen eighty five after A Nightmare on Elm Street two, which kind of surprised me. And today's dollars, that box office would have been about seventy two million, kind of like how Insidious: The Red Door did last year. So, mm. not blowing things away, but it was a a popular movie. It was in in the lexicon, I think. Yeah, it's a good return. Anything else you guys want to say about this movie when we're in non-spoiler mode before I move on? I got a question for you guys uh, about the vampire genre. Uh, if you dive within it, uh, like you have like scary vampires like Nosferatu and uh, other films of that caliber. And then you've got like 30 Days of Night where it's like really fast vampires, maybe also kind of scary. But then you've got like this like one which is like sexy vampires uh, and like Twilight maybe falls in here and stuff. Um, do you like have like within vampires, like do, do you guys like this type of vampire film or do you prefer like prefer more the, like the scary type of vampire? I'll let Bryce answer first. Um, I'm a traditionalist. I just like Dracula. Um, you know, it's got a mix of all that of like the... Um, seductive sexiness and then um you know kind of luring you in and then striking like with the other movies where it's more of like you know fast vampires like the fast zombies versus slow zombies debate it's like then they just become monsters yeah they just become like you know you could replace them with werewolves and be okay um yeah, I like I like that, and, and also like um, you know, interview with a vampire kind of stuff where it's like spanning, you know, centuries and seeing how that works. Mm. It is interesting when they bring that time element into it because a vampire is immortal. So when they talk about what's happened to them centuries ago, or at least imply that they've had centuries of life lived, mm-hmm. it can get kind of interesting on that front. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways you can take the genre too. Like, yeah, the I think my favorite approach probably is the kind of traditionalist approach that you mentioned, Bryce. But there's a lot of weird ways you can do it, like bliss kind of as a metaphor for addiction. I just watched a Romero movie called Martin. It's a vampire movie from the 70s where hmm. it's just a random dude who's a vampire and like none of the normal stuff like garlic or holy water works. He's just, and it's kind of the, there's a debate about that. Like you think I'm some sort of magic. I just like drinking blood. And that was really weird. Uh, (laughs) I'm appreciating more and more the different type of stories you can tell with a vampire story, but I I like the sexiness too. I like this movie. It has a bit of the sexiness and the ghoulish monstrosity as well. Mm. Yeah, it's a cool hybrid. I I don't know. I generally struggle with uh, sexy being scary. I, I feel like those two are like, uh, at least for me personally, are, are like two opposing uh, emotions. But uh, it, it is cool. They try to combine that in, in one character. But for for some reason, like that, that never like hits me as uh, as like horrific as like a, a monstrous kind of uh, vampire. Well, back to the church discussion. If you dr- grew up Catholic like I did, then sexy and <laughs> is scary. <laughs> yeah, it's associated with the flames of hell. <laughs> That's what they're catching here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it's kind of like the the element of you know 
finding herself in the spider's web. Um, you know, it's the same thing like in the witch, like having the, the sexy witch lure in the young boy and, you know, murder him or whatever. Oh, yeah. Right. Is like, yeah, you're, uh, you're vulnerable when you're horny. That's a, that's something that <laughs> guys understand. Um, that's a good point. That's a, uh, yeah, that is a great point. A good quote. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I think I'm going to hit some, uh, some housekeeping items and then we'll go on to the plot. Uh, I forgot to mention this was requested by Ed M who has requested a few eighties films that we'll I'm sure we'll get to sooner or later. Uh, some new patrons I want to shout out. Thank you to goose Dalton G Alexandra Q Lou M Connor P Tammy G Tyler T and Alex B. We appreciate you guys very much. And speaking of Alex B's, our Ohio connection, as always, comes from a different Alex B, our friend Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio, connects every movie we watch to our home state of Ohio for us. And Alex says, Fright Night is a supernatural horror comedy film that follows a teenager who discovers his next door neighbor, Jerry, is a vampire. Among Jerry's victims are two bouncers, one of which was played by former NFL defensive end Ernie Holmes. Following his successful NFL career, during which he won two Super Bowls as a member of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Holmes became a wrestler and actor, appearing in WrestleMania II and an episode of TV's The A-Team. Prior to his third season in 1973, Holmes had an emotional breakdown while driving on the turnpike, firing shots at a police helicopter as it pursued him and was later found in a field near his abandoned car in Mahoning County, Ohio. Wow. Wild. Yeah. I was expecting that he played for the Cleveland Browns at some point, but that, <laughs> that kind of went another way. He was just driving through the state on the turnpike. I thought that's what you do yeah. on the turnpike in Ohio. Right. Just, yeah. It's basically, you just drive through it on 80 and you're done with Ohio. <laughs> exactly. Hey, oh, sorry. One last question for you guys. Uh, do you have like a favorite vampire film before we jump into this one? Let the right one in maybe, but it's been so long since I've seen that. Yeah. That's your gold standard. That might be my gold um, standard. Yeah, that's hard. Um, Let the right one in is fantastic, but I've, I mean, interview with a vampire is, is probably what I go to when I think vampires. Yeah. That's we awesome. haven't done that one yet. We, we need to do that. And 1992's Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah. yeah. And hold the dark. Maybe is that, was that one? Or what's the the one that near uh, dark near dark yeah right yeah what's yeah. your favorite Ash um I might lean towards uh, that girl that walks home alone at night is that a girl who walks home alone at night is that what it's called I think, I think that's so. what it's called yeah yeah that's probably what I'd go <laughs> what's for what's it about I think a girl <laughs> 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 this just this dude <laughs> in the daytime just this guy guy in a, a group of guys <laughs> yeah, in, the in the daytime yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, just like He's really not artsy. Going like, home, yeah. I, I think it's an Iranian film, maybe. Uh, but um, it's like shot in like black and white, and uh, it's was, it was pretty cool. I remember it being like kind of artsy. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that probably was one of my favorite ones. Have you seen that one, Bryce? I assumed your question was just a joke. I, I haven't. Um, so. But yeah, I know it's a, a vampire movie. It's yeah. like Iranian, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it is. All right, cool. Well, uh, I think let's get into spoiler mode here. Um, so if you haven't seen this movie, it's time to duck out and go watch it. 
Um, but before we do this, guys, can you hold on a second? I think I just heard the doorbell ring. I'll, I'll be right back. Sounds good. Hey guys, I'm back. Everything okay? I guess. I'm a little unsettled. It turns out it was this really handsome guy that just moved in next door and my wife invited him in. And he made it a point to tell me that now that my wife's been so gracious to him, he's going to stop by anytime he feels like it. (laughs) I feel like I'm either about to get murdered by a vampire or cuckolded. And I'm... (laughs) Not super excited do, about either one. You have a preference one? Or both. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Right? Yeah, that would be the, the double whammy. Yeah. All right. Well, this film opens with our main character, Charlie Brewster, in his bedroom making out with his girlfriend, Amy. Meanwhile, playing on the television is a show that airs horror movies called Fright Night Theater, hosted by late night horror host Peter Vincent, who is portrayed as a washed up actor from B-horror movies. Oh, a little bit of background information I forgot to mention. Peter Vincent is an amalgamation of Peter Cushing and Vincent Price as an homage to those two. So from his bedroom window, Charlie witnesses two men carrying what looks like a coffin into the house next door. Between Charlie being distracted by this and him accusing Amy of being a prude, Amy leaves the house on a negative note as some seeds of discord have been sown between them in this scene And Charlie learns from his mom that the house next door was recently sold to a man who flips houses and then moves on. And we learn from the TV news that there has recently been a murder in town. So what did you guys think of this this quick setup, just meeting the characters and getting to know what the plot's going to be about here? Yeah, it's a a nice change of pace for an 80s movie to, you know, have the, the willing girl on the bed and the guy's like, Wait, look out this window. What the heck, a coffin? <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty, pretty well played for laughs. Um, yeah, it's a fun, it sets the tone for the movie. It does, right. And I, I think that it's also kind of an indicator of the rest of the movie, just the like things right away. You know, he sees the neighbors carrying a coffin into the house next door. It's kind of like we just start the movie right away. It just, things get going. I was surprised how quickly it, it, it jumps into that and like reveals itself right away before like much character build up. Uh, right. You guys were into that though? Efficiency? I, yeah, was. I think what in about a movie you, like Bryce? this, in a movie like this, it works really well because it's, it's, it's fun. So let's get into the fun. Let's not waste too much time on, you know, setting the tone and, and like creating super complex characters. They're pretty, you know, one, one note characters for the most part <laughs> it's but it's uh set up in an inter- interesting way where you don't have to get too much farther mm. from those archetypes yeah i do think that the characters here at least these three aren't super complex but at the same time like they give you enough to kind of give you a feel for who they are and they they enrich the world a little bit by having his mom be like uh amy tell your mom i'm gonna see her on next saturday or whatever it's just mm-hmm little stuff that's easy and quick that makes you feel a little more connected 
to the characters, even though we are moving quick. Sure. I, I think it's also mentioned here that I, I think we get a sense that the mom's divorced. Like that's like what she talks about is like, she like, she like gives them some advice and is like, oh, if you argue, you're less likely to get divorced. Something. So I, I think that sets up some of the mom's character at this point as a divorced woman. Sure. Yeah. I didn't think too much about that, but good point. Yeah. I, I think that might play a role later in the film. Uh, cause I, I feel like divorces were like a, a hot topic around this time. Maybe like they're just like coming up or something. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I think like one of the things like with a movie like this, it's more important to just have strong characters than complex characters. Sure. And I think it, it creates the strong characters very well, especially Charlie. Charlie is not a subtle character. He's not a subtle person (laughs) it it plays really well it's like yeah if you're trying to sneak around don't be as obvious as charlie (laughs) you know (laughs) does not take a a vampire to you know yeah to see someone crawling in the bushes like five feet away (laughs) (laughs) man charlie is so sloppy but he's kind of like the movie he's just like he's going he's like acting first asking questions later uh yeah Yeah, he's on a mission a good way to put it he's not the most complex character but boy you you could call him strong in that he's always doing something he's always making a decision Mm -hmm. so his suspicions are further aroused the next day when he sees a beautiful woman enter the house next door and then later that night he hears a woman screaming and he later finds out from the news that the woman he saw enter the house has been reported as murdered so with this info he feels confident enough to go to the police and very strangely, uh, when a homicide detective comes by Jerry Dangerous's house to investigate, he brings Charlie and is like, hey, this is the kid who's accusing you of a murderer, <laughs> which does not feel like great police work. Yeah, generally police don't tell you, you know, specifically what you're under suspicion for and <laughs> yeah. who told you and... You know, this here, I brought my friend Charlie along. This is the person you'll want to murder. You know, <laughs> yeah. He lives right next door. Witnesses. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that episode of Family Guy where Peter gives a, a murderer Chris's home address. And he's like, oh, that one's all screwed up. It's got a list of his worst fears on the back of it. Uh, you can keep it. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, so, yeah, Charlie at this moment, it's an awkward situation. Him being there saying like, hey, this is the guy who accused you. But he kind of blows any chance he has when he accuses Jerry of being a vampire right in front of the police. And so the cop is just like, all right, this kid's nuts. And things keep going downhill for Charlie when his mom invites Jerry in that night, after which he says to Charlie, I'll probably drop by anytime I feel like it. See you soon. In a very ominous tone. And we we know that Charlie doesn't have much longer before Jerry comes for him. And he can now get into the house anytime he wants because as the vampire rules go, he has been invited in. I like the the classicism here that they, they do abide by all the vampire rules for the most part. Mm -hmm. Being invited in and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What's your guys take on uh, the the roommate here? Good question. I, I just thought of him as like a Renfield type. But uh, there like, might be something more to it, like a familiar. Yeah, yeah kind of like Dracula's servant. Yeah. Okay. Okay. More yeah. of a bodyguard than anything in in this movie. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess skipping forward, like, what exactly is he? Because like, he got stabbed through the heart 
but he's not a vampire. So what was he? <laughs> like, are we supposed to know what, what that is or is it just cool? Yeah, I feel like they never really defined his character. I think there was some vampire logic in this movie that doesn't quite hold up under scrutiny, but I do feel like Renfield in the book could maybe like be about in the daytime and, and feel sunlight. He was, he was a vampire, but kind of like lesser than, um, see, I didn't uh, think Renfield was a vampire. I thought he was just under the control of Dracula with the promise of becoming a vampire. Yeah. But he's also like drinking the blood of, he's like eating animals and drinking their blood and stuff like that. But Hmm. Yeah, my memory might be kind of foggy on that front. Okay. But this guy's like definitely got something supernatural uh, going on yeah. there. Right? He, he's yeah. definitely supernatural, as you'll find out later in the movie. And there might be some um, you know, some undertones, undertones of them being having a gay relationship because it sounds like Tom Holland strategically put some stuff in the script to to point that way. Like mm-hmm. interesting. He made uh the I can't remember the name of the actor who plays Billy, the like Renfield guy. He like makes him get down on his knees in a certain scene while while Chris Sarandon is standing up just to, you know, point to allude to a sexual act there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I thought uh Chris Sarandon's vampire like represented that like exciting uh sexuality of, of this time where like uh the way that the mom talks about him like oh he's gonna be like someone way more interesting than like the typical people around here uh i i think i got the sense like he moved from the city or something people thought like he moved from somewhere interesting and then like obviously he's like dressed like really nice uh yeah he's got that like live-in guy who lives with him they live together uh we even like see he's got like long fingernails like painted fingernails sometimes uh so it, it did feel like i mean we're there they're pointing to like this um maybe a version of like metrosexuality or something that like made him like really appealing for that time or interesting is like this new person in this suburb. No, oh, interesting. <laughs> is that what you told your mom when she walked in on you? <laughs> yeah. This film was a commentary on the exciting sexuality of this <laughs> yeah. time. Ignore the press. <laughs> Check out this dude. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, of course, uh, Jerry does pay Charlie a visit. He locks his mom in her bedroom and then attacks Charlie, telling him that he, if he stays out of his way, he'll stay out of Charlie's. And when Charlie refuses, Jerry seems as if he's going to kill him. But Charlie gets the upper hand when he stabs Jerry's hand through with a pencil. Accidental hand pun there. And during this scene, Jerry turns into an all-out ghoulish-looking vampire with evil eyes and fangs and claws and the whole works. And he looks great and, and kind of scary. Ashvin, if I were you, I would have been scared of this movie as a kid. Yeah, yeah, the makeup effects uh, on the vampires when they, when they convert is pretty scary. Is that something that struck you, Bryce, as you were watching this, the, the practical yeah, effects? Yeah, I mean, the, the practical effects were great. Uh, the makeup was fantastic and went really hard into the, you know, the monster makeup. And, um, that's funny that you said that the, that the makeup artist worked on American werewolf in London. Cause it's like, okay, they basically stole like a, a couple bits of, uh, transfer or metamorphosis, uh, eventually for the werewolf. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I also read in the trivia that the, um, the shark, uh, teeth uh, mask that eventually uh, what's her name Debbie or Judy Amy Amy 
whoever, you know, <laughs> it ends with a, an E sound that, uh, yeah, that Amy had, um, like they told him, um, they wanted it and the effects artist like didn't have any time for it. And he's like, just as long as it's quick, you know, just as long as you barely show it, but they showed a lot of it and it's basically the movie poster. So oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it looks good. Yeah, cool looking vampires. What what is the uh, logic behind the uh, pencil? Uh, can, can you like uh, are vampires like immune or like not very susceptible to wooden pencils? Yeah, I mean, I I drew the line of like, yeah, it's like a makeshift wooden stake. Maybe they just really don't like wood. Yeah, uh, got it. Yeah, I mean, I I think the important part for a wooden stake is through the heart, but I mean. Any part There's of the a lot of artistic sense. liberty when it comes to vampire rules. Sure. That's part of the fun of watching different vampire movies, of seeing what they pick and choose to use. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. I said this movie kind of sticks to the classic rules, but it does bend them a little bit. I think our last vampire movie we watched was Twilight, so I think anything abides by the rules way better than that movie, <laughs> right. which threw them out the window. There's this clip uh. of like an uh, old B movie from the seventies. I think, I think it's like in Spanish language or something, but it's like has a vampire and someone holds up the, the cross and in the foreign language, he's like, does nothing to me. And he reveals that he's actually a Jewish vampire. So it has no effect. (laughs) He's wearing the star of David. That's great. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. I like that. Oh man, that reminds me of. Uh, do you guys remember the character that Bill Hader would do on the SNL news sketches? I think they would call him Stefan or something. Oh yeah, uh-huh. yeah, Stefan, the hot new Yeah, bar. he he has a joke where he's like, "You call a black Dracula Blackula. Do you know what you call a Jewish Dracula? Sidney Applebaum." <laughs> 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 but his his delivery was was stellar. Yeah, oh, yeah that was a good character. Yeah, that was funny. Anyway. Charlie is now running out of options. Wait a minute. Did I skip ahead? No, I didn't. So yeah, Charlie is now running out of options. And the next day he waits outside the TV studio for Peter Vincent and begs him for his help. Peter Vincent kind of dismisses Charlie as crazy. And Amy and Charlie's weird friend, Ed, are also starting to think that Charlie is kind of losing losing it here. And as an aside, Peter Vincent has just lost his job as late night horror host because as he says... To Charlie, nowadays, kids just want to see a guy in a ski mask hacking up virgins, which is an allusion to the rise of the slasher subgenre during this time. Mm-hmm. So Amy and Ed now think the only way to get Charlie off of this whole vampire kick is to stage a fake vampire test to assure Charlie that Jerry is not a vampire. So they enlist Peter Vincent for help with this. And since he's just lost his job and received an eviction notice, He's happy to participate once Amy offers to pay him for his time. So the four of them call, no, the three of them call Jerry, uh, the vampire Jerry, and tell him what they're planning to do. And once he's assured that the holy water they'll be using for this test will not actually be holy water and is instead just tap water, he's like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Um, So one night, the four of them head to Jerry's place where they have him drink holy water. And he's fine, but Charlie still isn't totally convinced. And then on the way out, Peter Vincent just so happens to flip open a handheld mirror in which he accidentally catches that Jerry does not cast a reflection. Also, while they're over at Jerry's house, it's clear that he's very taken with Amy. 
And earlier, when Charlie was in Jerry's house with the homicide detective, Charlie noticed that Jerry had a painting of a woman who looked a lot like Amy. So I think they're doing what I believe Nosferatu did. And I think the 1992 Dracula where um, Mina kind of reminds Dracula of a, of a lost love from long ago. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. Peter Vincent has just seen that Char- that Jerry has no reflection, and he's acting a bit strange. He fumbles his handheld mirror and drops it, but they manage to get out of there without arousing any of Jerry's suspicions. But once they have left, Jerry notices a shard of the mirror on the floor, and he realizes that they're onto him. So this puts him on the offensive, and that night he stalks Charlie's friend Ed and appeals to Ed's sense of inferiority, saying, I know what it's like to be different. All you have to do is take my hand. And at this point, Jerry turns Ed into a vampire and sends him after Peter Vincent. Ed also looks great as a vampire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I mean, the one thing about this movie is like, with the makeup effects, they've got like five different stages for everyone. Like, right. This, like, uh, I mean, Ed goes from just having kind of janky fangs to, you know, full on face mask basically to you know being a wolf mm-hmm. um and same thing with with uh jerry he's got like five or six different forms that are used throughout the movie and and it, it adds adds a little spice it's nice yeah you, i mean you said they go hard and they really do they go harder than they have to it's almost like they went unnecessarily out of their way just to make the effects extra special and yeah, and the trivia it says that they the budget for the movie is nine million and a million was used for special effects. So they definitely set aside a decent amount of budget for special effects and it shows. Yeah, that does not surprise me. Um I also wonder if you know, he was just maybe manipulating Ed there, but when he says I know what it's like to be different, he could be talking about himself being a vampire, but this could be another uh a hint yeah. at, at the gay thing right mm. who knows um uh but yeah he oh go ahead, go ahead. yeah yeah no I, I i think so too because uh i i i can see like a lot of parallels between uh pop culture that time uh and like yeah how gays were like kind of represented in like vampires like sucking blood and stuff so it's it seems natural that they, they might be tying these two things together at that time sure yeah i mean uh this i think you mentioned in the the box office stuff didn't this come out the same year as Nightmare on Elm Street too. Oh yeah, yeah, right. right which was so, just you know, speaking of yeah, subtle you know drops there. Like it, I mean, it's not uh, this one is much more subtle. I didn't catch much uh, homosexual subcon uh, subcontext here, but I mean, if you watch Friday, right. Friday the Thirteenth, yeah, that's no, really Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two. That's like. It's not subtle. <laughs> yeah, that's like overflowing with gay subtext. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, very interesting. Uh, okay, so... Oh, did, did you guys feel like there was a, a pacing issue here? Uh, the fact that like there were like two scenes where they go to Peter to like try to convince him and he like he keeps like first he rejects uh Charlie and then he's like trying to say no to the other ones and then I, I think even later there's like more scenes of him just like trying to not do like what they want him to do. Uh, did you feel like the movie was kind of like stalling a bit here? I didn't think so, but Bryce, what do you think? No, I think it was it was logical. I mean, 
it's them trying to gaslight Charlie. Because, <laughs> I mean, Charlie's seen the monster already. He's like, no, I know he's a vampire. And he's like, are you trying to make me crazy? Like, obviously, that can't be holy water um, that he drank because that's not possible. Ah. Um, and I think also the director, writer-director talked about how it was a take on um, like the boy who cried wolf combined with like Dracula. So I think there's a little bit of an element of like, it's almost a reverse, the boy who cried wolf. Cause he's like, he's telling the truth the whole time, but right. it takes his friends like three times before they realize that he's telling the truth. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of shows that struggle. Makes sense. And one thing that we'll get into more as we go through the plot is something that Tom Holland said. He said, Charlie Brewster was the engine, but Peter Vincent was the heart. And really, Peter Vincent has more of a character arc than Charlie in this movie, in my opinion. But I think that's part of it, Ash. Like, yeah, I could see it being repetitive. But the first time, he's just like, you know, standoffish. He just lost his job. Who the hell is this kid? Mm -hmm. The second time, he's come home and realized he's been evicted. So he's like, okay, like, I'm in a desperate spot. I, I need any money I can get. Right. And then the third time he's kind of wrestling with his own identity. Like who the hell am I? Like I'm a nobody. I'm not Peter Vincent, the vampire killer. That's not even my real name. And he's kind of finding his own identity and inner strength through, through some of these back and forth. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. That's really cool progression. Yeah. I love it. It's, it's not a super subtle reference to Vincent price. Um, with uh, Peter Vincent, but it's a, you know, an, a, almost like an alternate universe version of Vincent Price where he's not actually that good at acting or has ever been actually that successful. Right. Um, and is more of a sad sack. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I liked, I liked his character progression as well, where it's like, he's trying to use his acting chops to act like he knows what he's doing as a vampire killer. And then, He's just portrays himself as like, oh no, actually I'm a coward. This is really hard. <laughs> which yeah. Is, which yeah. is a fun thing to do. And then he, you know, it's a, uh, yeah, he has like a, his own little hero's journey mm-hmm. um, through the second and third act. He really does. Okay. So Ed is a vampire now and he goes after Peter Vincent, but Peter's able to ward him off by placing a crucifix against Ed's forehead and burning Ed with it. Jerry then begins to stalk Amy and Charlie on their walk home from his house, and he chases them into a nightclub where he uses his powers of seduction slash mind control to get Amy to come to him on the dance floor. And they've got kind of a steamy moment together on the dance floor as they're feeling each other up. Ashwin's Mm -hmm. mom wouldn't have been happy walking in on this scene. (laughs) But before Jerry absconds with Amy, he tells Charlie to bring Peter Vincent to his house if he ever wants to see Amy again. And on the way out, Jerry dispatches a couple of bouncers, which seemed like a bad idea, especially since the police have already been to his house once. He's like possibly killed these bouncers in public view. Right. Mm -hmm. That seemed unnecessary. Yeah, it's very 80s logic. The other thing that I I, uh, got a kick out of where, you know, I wouldn't have caught it when I was younger, but the movie set in the suburbs and then... Just whenever it's convenient in an 80s movie, there's dark alleyways that would only exist in, like, a metropolis. Yeah, in discos. Yeah, I mean, these, like, 
you know, Charlie and, and Amy escape into the nightclub through like the open window into the alley. And it's like, what <laughs> suburb is that close to, you know, basically New York. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean that, that scene was like all the urban scenes feel just very convenient. And you're like, well, it'd just be cool if they're in a, a fancy nightclub. Um, yeah. And you know, cool stuff happens. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you know, turn off your brain. It works. It's fun. You know, then you get back to closer to reality with the suburb stuff. But yeah, I'm pretty sure police would chase after them. <laughs> yeah. yeah I got to wondering that too. And then I thought, well, maybe they're in like a small town and Amy's on the other side of town. So they walk through downtown to get there. But yeah, that club open late at night did, didn't have the small town vibe. <laughs> yeah. It's not just an alleyway. It's like a a maze work alleyway. Right. You know? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so. Very true. Uh, um, Brian, you mentioned, uh, that she is taking, taken by, uh, uh, by Jerry's, uh, like you're saying he like possessed her somehow here. She wasn't like actually just into like this older dude who's like really cool and, and good looking. That wasn't my read on it. I mean, historically in like going back to old vampire tales and films, they do have some mind control type tricks it's not like they can make anyone do whatever they want all the time it's never really described in detail what the extent of the power is but it's not unusual for a vampire to kind of give someone a look and then they fall under their spell how did you read that bryce was she like just like this dude's hot i'm going over there or was she kind of under his spell no there is something supernatural going on because i think there was a couple times where she like got shaken out of it and was like actually trying to run away and he gets her back under a spell and takes her back home. But, you know, the mix of um, Amy being down for for Jerry versus mind control, I mean, it's debatable, you know? Sure. Yeah. It perhaps makes makes an interesting uh, analysis of the movie. <laughs> right. Well, I, I think, like, what we know of Amy from the beginning is, like, she's trying to get... Well, first, I guess it's, like, Charlie trying to get with her, and then she gets really put off because he, like, suddenly seems disinterested, and he's all down this vampire path. So along comes this uh, older gentleman who's, like, got his stuff together and uh, dresses nice and eats a lot of fruit. Uh, so I could see her, like, you know, <laughs> being taken with this at, at the club, you know? I, I, so I, I don't know. I just... I, I wouldn't entirely... Yeah, I, I was a little hesitant to assume that she was, like, hypnotized here versus... Uh, actually falling for this guy so then you guys think she's hypnotized like from this point onwards like now that like she gets kidnapped even at the house she's hypnotized yeah yeah i mean it's i mean when he's about to bite her neck the first time she pulls away and is like you know comes to and is like no don't do that and then of course yeah you know she she succumbs um yeah i mean that's, I mean, that's one of the, my favorite parts of vampire lore is like the seductiveness and mm-hmm. like the, the sexiness and the, the mix of that. Um, so yeah, I think it, it works well here. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So it seems like Bryce and I are on the same side and you think it's the apples. I think it might be the apples, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting arc for, for Amy too. Cause like the subtext is. Charlie's been trying to get with her for a while now and she's been pretty coy and shut him down. 
and he's frustrated. And then of course, immediately gets distracted by a coffin. Um, and then at that point it's like, okay, is Amy just like, she's ready to, to, uh, sleep with anyone at that point. She's like, all right, well, so much for, for saving it. Let's, let's just get this over. That's what it seemed like. Right. Yeah. I think there's, there's a little bit of that there. Um, but I'd like to think that, you know, Amy wouldn't immediately want to sleep with a vampire, that there's something, yeah, something influencing her. Sure. But that's you know, fair. Chris Sarandon is, is very dreamy. Yes. You know? Yeah. Oh, second thing that, uh, second, second item that I was really confused about, uh, are, is, is Charlie and Amy, are they high schoolers? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> also another very eighties trope. Of like yeah. <laughs> high schoolers that look like they're in their mid twenties. Yeah. But also if you see like videos or pictures of mid eighties, high schoolers, I mean, they all look like my dad, you know, like it's, <laughs> it's, um, they just dressed older. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Know? I feel and like had, their styles old, really old age people's them. haircuts. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's with the modern lens. It's like, yeah, those people are all 25. Yeah. And that was kind of a thing in the mid eighties to early nineties. Like that was a thing with like Beverly Hills, 90210 and Melrose place. Oh like, yeah. These are supposed to be teenagers. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. That's hard to believe. But, but then the, the other side of that's kind of gross where, uh, Jerry is like this older gentleman who's like seducing this, uh, high schooler. Um, eh, maybe she's 18 or something, right? I don't know. It's kind of weird. He's probably like 400 years old anyway. Yeah, exactly. It just yeah, We can live with the, you know, century old, uh, mass murderer, but yeah. you know, if he's going after kids, <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> Got line get there. this movie out of here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So Charlie turns once again to Peter Vincent for help. And because he was like, hey, show up in my house with Peter Vincent or else we'll never see Amy again. And although Peter Vincent is reluctant and admits that he's utterly terrified, he decides this is the moment to prove himself and agrees to accompany Charlie to Jerry's house. He kind of girds his loins and I think brings a vampire killing kit from one of his movies, Orgy of the Dead. And his mantra is kind of he's saying to himself, I am Peter Vincent, the great vampire killer. I thought this was kind of a touching moment here because he just admits like that's not even my real name and he's really kind of breaking down and there's emotional music playing. Did that, were you guys sympathizing with Peter Vincent at all or did you think this was a little silly? Both. I mean, it is a little silly, but it's a, it's a nice touch for the, for the character. He's probably the most interesting character other than maybe Jerry. Jerry is a pretty great villain, but like, Peter Vincent is the most complex character in the movie, I think. Yeah, I think this conversation is making me appreciate him a little bit more. I, I think I was getting a little bit annoyed. Like, this whole movie just seems like him begrudgingly or like uh, going along with things or constantly saying no and not wanting to be a part of the plot and people trying to beg him to like come and uh, get involved. So, I, I kind of, I, I was getting the feeling that it was, uh, they were spending too much time with, with him, but I kind of appreciate him more hearing, hearing this conversation. Yeah, I do too. And I really think Charlie's fine as a main character, but he's really just all action. Like the Tom Holland quote about him being the engine is so true to me. We don't really sit with his feelings or go on that much of an emotional journey with him. He's just 
doing shit and he's the one driving the plot, but we're not really invested or on board with him as much as we might be other main characters in other films. Mm-hmm. Versus yeah. like Peter, we're, we're more on board with him. I am at least. I'm, I'm kind of invested in his arc. Yeah. And I think because it's interesting and as the three of us who do horror movie podcasts, it's interesting to think about those type of actors too, like a Vincent Price who got typecast as a villain and all he was was kind of a, I mean, I think he was taken more seriously as an actor, but he was typecast into like a spooky voice and a mustache twirling villain. And what's that like as an actor? Yeah, it's really cool angle. Uh, Okay, so let's see. He's he's girded his loins. He's kind of said, "All right, I'm I'm going to do this." And then the two of them, Charlie and Peter Vincent, head over to Jerry's house. They are thwarted by Jerry and his Renfield type friend Billy. And when Charlie is knocked backwards off the railing of the stairs, Peter retreats next door to Charlie's house, where he finds a vampiric evil Ed pretending to be Charlie's mother. That was kind of a creepy moment for me when he was under the covers and Peter Vincent pulls the covers away, and it was. Ed with his full vampire makeup. Yeah. And like the red, uh, they have like a mop on his head or something. It looked or... like a raggedy and all wig or something mm-hmm. like oh, that. Oh yeah. yeah. Ed Not then the turns into a uh, disguise. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. I, Peter Vincent probably should have picked up on that one. How did, how did you guys feel about evil Ed as the character? At first I was really annoyed by him, but he's, he kind of grew on me. I mean, he's supposed to be annoying. I thought it was super entertaining. He felt like a, a commercial for like Adderall or something. It was just like <laughs> so hyped up the whole time and just like goes like giggling and stuff. What, what, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, it's over the top. It, it matches the tone of the movie. I think like the the combination of Evil Ed, Amy, and Charlie as like the main cast is like yeah, they're this is light and fun. Let's not take it too serious. They're not real full on people that you would meet, but in terms of like a, a campy movie that works really well. And so, yeah, having that um, kind of really annoying um, comic relief is, uh, is a good tactic in a movie like this. Um, especially when, you know, it's a main character that you're kind of like relieved, like, okay, finally he's dead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I have to hear evil Ed anymore. (laughs) Yeah. It's cool when he becomes a vampire. I I like how he like takes that personality into like not trying to harm them. Yeah. He's kind of a staple of like the eighties high school comedy ensemble too. Like there's always got to be like a dorky one or a weird one. Yeah. And, and Ed is that guy. Yeah, he'd, uh, he'd be easily replaced by uh, Clint Howard, oh, or yeah. um, who's, there's there's a couple like, like staple '80s actors that were Anthony Michael Hall, character. maybe. Yeah, Anthony Michael Hall. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, Ed then turns into a wolf and attacks Peter, who is able to run a stake through the wolf's heart. And then there's this amazing kind of reverse werewolf transformation where Ed changes from a wolf back to Ed as he's dying. Again, incredible effects here. They did not need to go through all this trouble, but it looked awesome. Yeah, this one, this like transformation or the metamorphosis back to Ed felt 
a little um long a little much and <laughs> i think it's probably like hey we got the american werewolf in london guy like might as well just use him on this scene and make it look cool but yeah it was weirdly long and weirdly like had import imbued on it where um uh vincent mr vincent i already forgot the name Pierre um, vincent, yeah. is yeah peter vincent is like really kind of touched or hurt that you know this young boy was killed by his hand so there's a lot of like gravitas to the scene to try to make up for the fact that they just wanted to show some cool transformation effects I felt that too. Like it felt almost kind of, kind of forced in how long they dragged it out. And then all the cuts between like, uh, him transforming and then back to Peter Vincent's face. It's just like constantly like, I don't know, at least like 10, 15, 20 like cuts like back and forth and him just like kind of mm-hmm. changing his facial expression slightly as like the slow progressions happening. Uh, and like it's in line with like how, uh, I feel like that scene took maybe like a minute or two to build up and then it was like five ten minutes of uh the, right. the yeah of, of the monster just kind of like uh yeah deforming or whatever so it, it felt a little bit uneven i was such a huge fan of this scene but it's interesting to hear both of your take like i can see your points it is a pretty long extended scene and it's not like ed's a main villain and he's kind of reverting backwards it's not like <laughs> he's collapsing into a pile of goo after they kill him or it's not like oh no he's turning into something it's already over and done like the stake has gone through his heart mm-hmm. but i like what bright said bryce said about forcing peter to have this moment of like oh i just killed a boy um right and uh, yeah I think, I think that fits well with peter kind of being the emotional uh like ground floor of this of this movie the backbone of the movie Mm. but yeah i hear what you're saying it's a pretty extended sequence yeah i mean it looks cool it does look cool yeah uh so then peter takes this stake that he used to kill ed back next door to help charlie who is now locked in a room upstairs with amy who is slowly turning into a vampire peter kicks down the door grabs charlie and tells him they can still save amy if they kill jerry before dawn peter shoots jerry's right hand man billy multiple times but we see him sit up behind them like Michael Myers in the background uh, as it's revealed to us that he is also undead in some, some way, shape or form. He cannot be killed by bullets. They manage to eventually run a stake through Billy's heart. And he has another kind of extended death scene. I'm hoping you guys like this one more. He kind of melts into goo and then his skeleton collapses and falls down the steps and his skull like slides across the floor and hits a wall. Were you fans of this one or did this also feel too long? No, I mean, I'm fans of both. Like I, I'm not saying like, um, either one was bad, but, um, yeah, one, one was a little more, uh, um, indulgent than the other. I think, uh, um, sure. you know, especially when it's like you've set up the big bad or like the henchman that's going to be unstoppable and then you stop them. It's good to, to dwell on it. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, the, the effects are, a big part of the drive of this movie. So, yeah. Yeah. I think after that first one, you kind of like realize like how, how big of a role effects are playing here. And so th- this one felt uh, a little more like uh, with the pace of the film. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't as, ex- as extended and overdone. And I do think 
Yes, it, it fits the narrative better that it, that this is yeah. a big moment. This is a, one of the big baddies. I think the more more of a distraction on this one is like, what's happening? <laughs> like, what, <laughs> yeah. what is he? You know, exactly. if, he's, right. if he's not a vampire, is it just like, oh, he's he's a zombie that um, can be killed with a stake? I guess. Um, so, I mean, that was mostly for me, but yeah, mm-hmm. artistic license, it works. Right. Yeah. It, it, it did very much open the question of how was, how was he out and about in the daytime? Mm-hmm. Um, so Billy's gone. Now they're facing off with Jerry and they managed to get him in front of a window as the sun is rising. He's hurt by the sunbeams coming in, but not yet bested. And he turns into a bat and attacks Peter as the sun is continuing to rise and pose a threat to Jerry. He retreats to his basement coffin, but Peter and Charlie pursue him. Peter pries the coffin open and just as Charlie is being confronted by a now fully transformed Amy, and my jaw just dropped at her full vampire reveal because, mm-hmm. as Bryce was saying, that's basically what the poster of the movie is. It's incredible makeup. I, I mean, the effects guy said he didn't want it to be shown for long, but I thought it looked really good. It's kind of cartoonish, but it's also creepy. What, what were your thoughts on that moment? I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it looks, it looks really good. What did you think, Bryce? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point in the movie, you're you're game for anything that they're going to throw at you, and that's, you know, in the moment, that's an appropriate amount of, um, just craziness. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty over the top. Yeah. They've kind of upped the ante at this point, right? Hey, they almost uh, needed to be wild. Yeah, uh, on the stairs, uh, one thing that happened. I was wondering, what do you guys think about this? Um, they're putting up the cross to. Uh, to Jerry and it doesn't work when Peter does it because he doesn't have faith, but then uh, it works for some reason when uh, the kid does it, when Charlie does it. Uh, so what was, what was your take there? Is, is Charlie like a uh, more religious than Pete? I don't know if it's faith in the cross or faith in himself or just faith in goodness in general, but it also opens up another kind of plot hole that, Peter Vincent was able to successfully use a cross against evil Ed. Granted, he put it right up against his skin, but mm-hmm. maybe it's just that Jerry's a more powerful vampire. Or... He's a super vampire, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then later, but... Peter has a moment where it does work, and you kind of get this more character arc from Peter of like, okay, he's regained his faith. But oh, okay. It's kind of moments later, so maybe that's a, a bit of a cheap trick, but... Yeah, I feel like all of the 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 rules with vampires, like the garlic and the cross and all this stuff, like originally in Dracula, kind of the, the way it functions is like no one knows what's going on for a long time. And then um, what's his name? Van Helsing comes in. Van Helsing comes in. And he's like, no, I mean, obviously I know all the secrets and he comes in and reveals hidden knowledge. And you're like, okay, well now we have these, you know, hidden talismans that we can use against Dracula. Um, and then in every other vampire movie, everyone knows all the vampire rules. Oh yeah. You know? <laughs> right. much. So it's like, it loses a little bit of its like dramatic purpose. Right. Now we all know movies get around that with like, <laughs> I don't care about the cross. That's never worked. That's just superstition. Oh no, garlic. <laughs> so it's like they just pick and choose whichever one they want to use for that movie. Uh, yeah. Right. Right. 
I think the best one is like you, you throw rice and they have to like count it or something. Is yeah. that a thing? I like that one. Yeah. Vampires are like really, you know, obsessive compulsive. So they have to <laughs> count. They have to be very neat. I like that um, one. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, oh, so do you guys think this was like a, a, like a character arc then that like someone's faith is like getting restored and, and that's like what they're trying to show here with the cross suddenly working versus not working. I think that was the goal there. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think more of anything, it's more of a stand in for overcoming cowardice okay. for, for Peter. Um, yeah. Yeah. But makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's not super clear. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't feel like the cross is really a, a used as a religious symbol, more of a, you know, talisman. Yeah. That you either believe in or have faith in or not. Sure. Uh, yeah, so let's see where Jerry escapes from his coffin before Peter can stake him. But Charlie and Peter realize that there are windows in the basement that have been painted black. And we saw Billy doing that in an earlier scene. So if they just break the windows, the light will shine through and they do so. They continue to break out the windows, letting more and more sun into the basement. And Jerry eventually burns up as he's reduced to a struggling and screeching skeleton of a giant humanoid bat, yet another form. Uh, mm-hmm. And this luckily returns Amy to her human form. And somewhere in this conclusion, we had a nice moment, like we were saying earlier, where Peter attempted to use a crucifix as protection. It didn't work. Then he's able to successfully use it. And uh, everything wraps up. All the main characters hug. And a few nights later, Amy and Charlie are watching TV. And we see that Peter Vincent has been rehired as a horror host, but that he's putting the vampire stories on the shelf for a while as he introduces a film about alien invaders and all seems well with the three of them. But for a moment we see glowing eyes in the house next door and we hear the voice of evil Ed saying, Oh, you're so cool, Brewster <laughs> leading us to believe that maybe the stake from Peter Vincent didn't kill Ed. Um, which again, an open question because then if Jerry was killed, you would think maybe that would kill Ed or return him to human form or, yeah, it, it's weird that he would somehow not have been dispatched, mm-hmm. but it's a fun, fun ending. Um, did you guys read a whole lot into that of, and think about how Ed could have been alive, or were you just like, ah, eh, this is just a silly way to end the movie? Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty low effort ending. <laughs> I mean, it's like <laughs> yeah. pretty, pretty, uh, you know, paint by numbers ending. It's like the end question mark. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, it's. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's always fun to to end a horror movie or like kind of a wild ride movie with uncertainty. But yeah, especially in the eighties. Yeah, I think the in the trivia it talks about how the original ending was going to be Peter uh, Vincent was going to be on TV and trans transform into a vampire and like threaten Charlie over the over the airwaves, which would have been a little more over the top. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it works. It's fun. That could have had some real menace to it. I, I like that in a yeah. way, but I also like things ending up going well for Peter Vincent. Yeah. I thought this conclusion, like the whole third act was a lot of fun. Uh, Ashwin in our Terminator episode, we were talking about how good action scenes need to have like good news, bad news, good news, bad news. And I thought that there was a lot of that in this third act. Like, oh, we've got the upper hand. No, we don't. 
maybe we've got it again. Nope, we just got to set back again. Yeah. And it just was moving really quick and remained interesting. Did you, were you guys feeling that as well? I just thought the pacing and everything about it was pretty cool. No, yeah, it was good. It, it moves along at, an, at a nice clip and uh, doesn't get too complicated. I mean, it's it's interesting how much of the third act happens on that stairway in front of that, um, you know, stained glass window. It's like in terms of like budget, I'm sure that really helped. Yeah, <laughs> right. It was basically Same setting. two locations, like three sets for the conclusion of the movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it works. It's It's got it's different set pieces. Um, and to, and I think the, the final showdown in the basement was really effective too. Like it was visually interesting and satisfying. Yeah. And the monster designs were uh, super cool. Uh, the, the effects we saw there. Uh, they, yeah. I, I thought it was really entertaining. Like a uh, last sequence. Yeah, I agree. I agree. What were some of like, Bryce, some of your favorite things about the movie and some of your some of the things that detracted from from your enjoyment of it. I feel like we've kind of kind of gone through some of them, but if there's anything new or if you want to summarize. Um, I mean, Chris Sarandon is pretty great in this movie. Yes. Like, I get it now. I'm like, oh, okay. That's why people are big fans of Chris Sarandon. Um it's it's an interesting character, like a pretty um, I'm definitely going to be a vampire that I think of, uh, going forward. Um, and I, I just like the kind of the mix of the modern suburbia, um, eighties feel into the genre. Um, least favorite, you know, it serves its purpose, but evil ed is pretty, pretty grating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, a didn't want any more of him. But everything works together. I really like the campy feel and and uh, the general, you know, fun tone of it that doesn't take itself too seriously. I was like talking about that with my wife. I'm like, why don't we just make fun movies anymore? Like, where where are the fun movies where it's not like you don't hold yourself to this super high, you know, dark and gritty, you know, realism standard where it's like. Sometimes you can just have fun and like do stupid things that are arbitrary in your story just because it's fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Just like fun and imaginative. It's just, uh, right. I, I think that's why so many people are always putting the eighties horror up on a pedestal compared to other decades. It really did just kind of let loose and have fun. Yeah. I mean, that's what was really interesting. Again, sorry, bringing up Lisa Frankenstein, but like it's it's kind of a breath of fresh air. It's like, yeah, it's not taking itself too seriously. It's taking some big swings, but mostly it's just being fun and campy. And you know, it's too much seriousness in the world right now. <laughs> it's, sure. it's, yeah, I, I I agree with you guys. Like, uh, yeah, the, the movies that go with this tone, it, they are like really entertaining and a lot of fun. Uh, but then it almost like works against like uh, how like disturbing or scary. It is like, how, how do you get both of those by like, w- like still like within a, f- a fun film? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, that's always a, a thing, but you know, I think I prefer the absurd in versus the scary in, in this case mm-hmm. where you can really lean into 
just kind of absurd uh, effects or scenarios. Um, And that's just more entertaining than, you know, waiting for the jump scare to happen sometimes. Um, But yeah, I mean, there, there can still be some good scares in it um, and tone shifts. I mean, that's another thing about eighties movies. It's like, they're not afraid of being more than one thing and having like weird, you know, a lot of like children's movies from the eighties. You're like, who is showing this to their children? These, (laughs) These are like freaking scary. Um, so I don't, I don't think one precludes the other. Okay. Um, yeah. But in this case, it was definitely le- leaned more into the campiness. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I've, my six-year-old is starting to become more and more curious about scary things. Mm-hmm. And one way we differentiate some stuff with him is we've talked about like, well, there's scary and then there's spooky. Like spooky is creepy but it's also kind of fun and mm-hmm. it's not really meant to really truly scare you and i feel like a movie like this is spooky where there's some mm-hmm. moments and scenes where you're like oh that's that's kind of creepy but it's not a movie you think about when you turn the lights off and go to bed at night um mm-hmm. but i also think if a young kid watched this they it wouldn't be spooky to them it would be scary because these vampire scenes are intense um for us who have seen many horror movies, I still, I would still call it spooky. Like it's, it's not so serious as to be scary, but it's, it's fun and it doesn't discard scares. It's still trying, you know, it's, it's trying to make these vampires look scary. And I think they do. Yeah. I also really liked, how they still tried to, and maybe it added to a bit of a campy feel. They still tried to keep things kind of gothic over on Jerry's side of the neighborhood. Like the house is always cloaked in mist and inside it's kind of an old mansion with interesting architecture and stained glass windows and stuff. So they still capture some of like the gothic feel of what I like about older vampire movies, but brought it into the eighties and, you know, had a retro synthie 80s score that I really dug. It was just a nice mm-hmm. aesthetic all around. It meshed together really well. Yeah, you were talking about uh, Terminator. It was scored by the same person. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, what's this dude's name again? Uh, yeah, Brad Friedel. Yeah, that's fun. Uh, I actually like this score better than his score to the Terminator. But really? that might be a controversial opinion. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd say so. Also, the the uh, the main theme of uh, Fright Night was performed performed by the Jay Giles Band. So you might know them from Centerfold if you're growing up in the late '80s, early '90s. I saw them in the credits, and I was like, I think I know Jay Giles Band, but I don't know how. Okay, good to know. Thank you, Bryce. Um, anything else review wise on this movie? I would echo to it. Yeah. Sarandon just kills it in this role and an iconic vampire. Another thing that really struck me about this movie is the pace. I know we've talked about it, but it's just moving so fast. Sometimes I appreciate a movie that moves so fast that I can't even really sit back and analyze the structure of it too much. Sometimes movies are kind of, paced so similar to each other that I'm just like, 
that moment was the end of the first act. This is the clear midpoint. Now we begin the third act. And this movie just kind of draws a steady line so that the the cutoffs aren't really as clear, uh, which I kind of appreciate. It just kind of whisks you off your feet and doesn't put you down until the end. But I don't know if it was maybe just me feeling that way and my enjoyment of it. Ashwin, did you get that at all or... I actually had that down as one of the things I was challenged with was the pacing. Like I, I hear from like a plot standpoint, yeah, it, it goes pretty quick. Uh, I think where I struggled are like some of the uh, attack sequences. Like the first time he breaks into the house and confronts uh, Charlie in his bedroom, there's like kind of like an awkward like dialogue for a little bit before he like even like attacks him. Like he's giving him an out basically. But uh, I felt like that scene kind of dragged on for a while. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the later kills, like we talked about, uh, with, the with the, the one dude, uh, turning from a werewolf into a guy again, like, uh, th- that kill, like felt like it was like really drawn out and stuff. So yeah, yeah, I think the plot like moves along at a great pace, but then like some of those core scenes to me, uh, the timing of an execution of them felt a little bit, uh, yeah, like off a little bit. Um, did you sure. guys get that at all? Um, yeah, I think in the moment it feels a little like distracting um but i didn't think it like overall affected the movie too much like i think if anything like yeah it was it moves along at a really good clip if anything there's like missed opportunities from maintaining that that momentum Mm -hmm. which is like could have done more with like um you know chris sarandon and the mother yeah like using that as a threat doing a little more with um you know jerry and amy and amy and charlie's relationship like there's there's a little more you could do if you had like an extra 10 minutes of of scenes with that to build the menace and build like the relationship um kind of interested in seeing the the remake because um there's a lot of opportunities to explore different things with the, with the characters, but yeah, I think overall I'm always welcome of a sub two hour horror movie. Yeah. Um, quick one. And uh, yeah, most of all, like I wasn't checking my watch during it and that's like my strongest indicator of whether I'm enjoying the movie or not. It's a quick watch. I, I think that made me appreciate uh, Okay, I feel like the remake has more of like the taunting, back and forth or like the threatening uh and that's like missing in this one and so i I think i did appreciate that a little bit more in the remake but uh yeah Yeah. you're right the the, the tightness is pretty good too now the remake is surprisingly enjoyable yeah you should check that out bryce yeah i'll do that all right let's see i think it's time to rate this thing uh i feel like i know who's going to be the highest but Bryce, we'll we'll let you go first. Zero to five stakes through the heart. What do you give Friday night? Zero to five stakes through the heart. Um, yeah, this is really enjoyable. Um, I'd I'd say like four point five, four and a half stakes. Nice, that's awesome. Ashwin, uh, you know, I think I'm only coming in at like three and a half uh, stakes of the heart. Uh, yeah, I, I did like it. It felt. Uh, unique compared to other vampire films and that uh there's almost like a a teenager's like wet dream uh combined with like a vampire film in this and so like it has like that sticky feel as as well as like being creepy and spooky so uh it is it's, 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 it's a cool blend of uh things 
<laughs> I, I thought it was like not pretty mixing neat. your metaphors at all. Well, why <laughs> did you have to bring that into this moment? There's, there's a lot of like uh, sexual tension here, and like him, like feeling like this guy's like stealing his girlfriend, and uh, and like yeah, that teenage like uh, and, 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 and I feel like she was uh, into that uh, this older gentleman next door, and like at the end, like do they even like finally hook up uh, the two of them? We you know we're, we're not sure. So I just feel like there's like a lot of like uh, um. Yeah, repressed uh, uh, emotions here. You got a That's semen fun. pun to work into yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. Can come back? <laughs> yeah. Give me a minute. I'll come up with a few more. <laughs> yeah. Sticky is where I'll, I'll end. The uh, film sperm doesn't quite yeah. find the egg <laughs> of its conclusion. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what about you, Brian? Right. I'm with Bryce. I give this 4.5 out of 5 stakes through the heart. I think special effects are great. Well-paced story. And just the right amount of heart combined to make it one of the best vampire films of all time, I am proclaiming. Wow. This is one of my yeah. favorites. I, I really liked it the first time I watched it, and I was just reinvigorated by how much fun I had with it this time. I think Charlie could have been a stronger main character. I think that could have that could have made it an even more enjoyable watch for me. And I hear hearing some of your guys's uh not beefs with it, but some of the things that you thought it could have done better. It to- that totally makes sense to me too. I can see those are valid criticisms, but I kind of really just enjoyed the-, the journey that it took us on. Don't you feel like they all could have been much stronger characters? And like, you know, I, I compare a film like this to Lost Boys where like uh, you do have like a little bit more fleshed out characters and relationships and like more vampires and stuff, uh, which seems like a lot superior to this. But what's your guys take? I don't know. I mean, I watched Lost Boys and it didn't it didn't hit me as hard as this one. Like I think it's more in aggregate everything works together. Like it's kind of like a just a nice recipe where, you know, it has a really nice balance to make it enjoyable and and Lost Boys, I don't know, I should probably revisit it, but um it was a little more meandering, a little more like slow and um it's just a different movie, um, mm. but a movie that I've seen more of. You know, I've seen more movies like Lost Boys, yeah, than than Fright Night. I think, um, and I give like a lot of credit to originality or trying to, you know, swing for the fences in terms of like tone and and uh, that that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I think I like this one more. To be honest, yeah, it's something got the originality. Yeah, I do too. I hear what you're saying, Ash. Like Lost Boys, like kind of lets things percolate and develop a little bit more. But I think that does end up making it a bit more meandering than this, like Bryce said. Mm. But yeah, but yeah, I, I I don't think you need every character to be strong. I think Peter Vincent was a strong character, and Charlie wasn't, and he his role was kind of more driving the story. But I, I I think it would have behooved us to have him be a little stronger. I don't think you need to spend that much more time with. Amy or evil Ed to, to flesh them out more. Cause yeah, you don't only develop characters by just seeing, getting information drops about what their past has been like, or what kind of person they are. You, you learn about them by their actions. And Charlie certainly takes a lot of actions. Yeah. I mean, their interactions, eh? but I feel like every interaction here was just about the, the vampire, like fighting the vampire. Um, and yeah, I would have loved to learn more about, uh, Chris Randon's character too, like uh, yeah, where, where he's coming from in his relationship with uh, that dude Billy or whatever. Kind of interesting. Could have been cool to have a prequel. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
All right. Well, I think it might be time to uh, start closing up shop here. But Bryce, thanks so much for joining us. And do you want to tell people where they can find Horror Movie Talk, both the podcast and your socials or whatever you want to plug? Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. And uh, we'll definitely have uh, Ashman on an uh, episode in the, in the future as well. Um, yeah, find Horror Movie Talk on all your favorite podcast platforms. Just search for Horror Movie Talk. Um, we're on YouTube too. Um, all the social media, if you search for Horror Movie Talk, we should show up. And our website's horrormovietalk.com. That has links to everything. Awesome. Well, yeah, glad we could have you on, even if it took us a year and a half to do it. Uh, I'm sorry. Well, I'm, it felt like it took a year and a half tonight for me to get here. <laughs> so thanks for being patient. Yeah, no worries. No worries. It, it was worth the wait, Bryce. Uh, cool. Well, I'm going to spare everyone our usual whole spiel. Just go to horrormovieclub.com if you want to find out more about our show or Patreon or Discord or whatever. It's all there. Uh, thanks again to Bryce. And until next time... Always stay strategically close to the front door so you can be the first to answer it and drive away any good-looking strangers before anyone else in the house has a chance to see them. Nice. Plant yourself. Especially uh, Ashwin with his sticky underwear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I get them. 